0: This episode of This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty is brought to you by JNT Optical on Columbus Avenue. Mention Kramer for 30% off your next purchase. Welcome to This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 52. In this episode, we talk with Tim Stack. Tim played Dwayne from Jay Anti Optical in the season five Seinfeld episode, The Glasses. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. If you dig it, pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at this thirsty, at this thirsty. Check out our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. This podcast is making me thirsty, episode 52, Tim Stack. Enjoy. Welcome to this podcast making me thirsty episode 52 the number one destination for Seinfeld fans today our guest is a veteran of tv and film as an actor producer and screenwriter he is an alum of the iconic improv group the Groundlings you know him from Nightstand and the Howard Stern produced fx series Son of a Beach he's also appeared in such shows as Night Court The Wonder Years and Curb Enthusiasm and of course he played Dwayne from JNT Optical in season 5 Seinfeld episode, The Glasses, please welcome Tim Stack. Tim, thanks for being Ooh, here. yeah. That
1: guy <laughs> and, is good. And more good. importantly, we just learned Tim was a Yankee fan. So big, really interesting. Big Yankee fan. Um, big Yankee
2: fan. I get to work at home today, and they're not playing, so which is too bad, because then I could work and watch them at the same time. So.
1: <laughs> so we do want to ask you about the Yankees. But before we get to yes. that, so take us back. So 1993, and I remember that Yankee team vividly. They just got Jimmy Key um but 1993 is when uh the glasses aired season five of Seinfeld um take us back so I I know you did a lot with Alf and a bunch of sitcoms was Hirschfeld the connection here how did you get the role and tell us a little bit about him yes
2: yes Mark Hirschfeld um and Meg Lieberman uh were they always brought me in for stuff Mark um they're both really really nice people and I and when I see them we have great times together still I don't see them enough also because I don't act as much as I used to but um so uh, uh more they kept you know it was funny about Seinfeld because when the show first came on I I was you know I didn't really know about it and then I watched the the mania episode and which I think was like maybe episode 3 or 5 or and and I remember laughing so hard and I called uh, my friend, Lynn Stewart. I don't know if you know Lynn. She's uh, Missy Vaughn on Pee Wee's Playhouse and, and um, Charlie's mom on Sunny in Philadelphia. And I called them and I said, have you seen this show Seinfeld? And she said, you're not going to believe it. Somebody else just called me from the groundlings and said, have you seen this show Seinfeld? So then I saw Mark at a at another audition for something and I said to him, I said, look, if anything comes up on Seinfeld, that show, if it's going to be around, I don't know if it's going to be around, but if it comes right. up, that show is really funny and I'd love to do one. And he kept bringing me back. Like I must have auditioned for that show seven times. Oh, wow. And, and, and then the show, you know, this is over a number of years and the show gets more and more popular. So suddenly it becomes like, a really big show to get. Like if you get a part on Seinfeld, it's a big deal. And I I finally got one. And I remember saying to Mark like around like my fifth audition, I was like, I don't know if this is gonna work. They don't seem to like me. And and Larry David, you know, had a reputation of being like a weird guy. Like I had seen him do stand up in the mid 70s. And I literally saw him one of the, when he walked off the stage and told the audience to F off. And and yeah. so I knew I was like, maybe he doesn't like me. He said, no, 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 they like you. They like you. Trust me. They like you. We'll find something for you. And and I ended up getting the part of Dwayne, which is a great part. It was really fun.
0: Yeah. It's a classic, classic episode, classic part. You, you mentioned the growlings in there. That's one of the things we wanted to ask you since, since you did just bring it up. Um, were you, you, you were there during the, when Phil Hartman was there with Pee Wee's Playhouse? Was that, were you, were you there? Yeah, I got you know?
2: in. Uh, yeah. Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, I got in, I, I, I,
0: moved to LA in 79
2: and I signed up for classes there and I got in the company in 80. And yeah, Hartman was in the group. He was, you know, he was Hartman. He was a big star at the Groundlings. And, um, but Paul was sort of like the main attraction, Paul Rubens, because he was doing Pee Wee. And then they did the Pee Wee show at midnight while I was there. And so Paul left the company to do the, the Pee Wee show and Phil stuck around and did that show and Lynn Stewart that's when I met Lynn she had left the Groundlings and then came back to do Miss Yvonne and you know that's one of my fondest memories of like my early times in LA the Groundlings was that peewee show coming in to the theater because it was a whole weird group of artists and punk rockers and people like you know me from the suburbs of Philly like I never met anybody like these people. So it was really uh, an experience for me. Plus, they were all so talented. And, and that show was, you know, Paul was just so talented. Um, so it was really a thrill for me to like I'd finish the Groundlings show and then they'd have an hour to get the Wee show up. And suddenly these weirdos like with mohawks and, uh, you know, would invade the theater. And it was it was really fun. Uh, So, yeah, so then I I got in the Groundlings in 80 and and, yeah Hartman was in the company. Edie McClurg uh, was in the company. Phyllis Katz, uh, Cassandra Peterson, who was Elvira, was in the company. It was really it was really just the greatest experience. If I had to, you know, give anything credit for whatever career I've had, it's the Groundlings.
0: Very cool. Yeah, we're huge Hartman guys from SNL for
2: sure. Um, Oh, you have no idea. And I say this, I'm not putting down. SNL but you have no idea how great he was in a 99 seat theater you know seeing Phil Hartman improvise because he would go to places that none of us were ever capable of going his brain was just so far beyond it was so in in just in life too his brain was much further than most people's brains
1: yeah And, and
2: and just so talented
1: so talented I think so underrated um just I'm thinking of unfrozen k man lawyer pops in my head but uh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah he used
2: to tell me you know he he used to he used to tell me because a, a couple of times while he was in SNL um and that a whole story of me and SNL is another story but but um he uh he used to call me because he would say like hey tim they want me to do Phil Donahue and I used to do Phil Donahue with the groundlings do you care and I was like no it's just a stupid impression please don't worry about it and we would talk and he would say, like, you know, it was very Hartman. Like, Hartman would never play the game of politics. Like, he would have never kissed Lauren Michaels' ass. I'm not saying that happened, but if it, if that's how people got stage time, he would never do that. Like, he just quietly rose through the ranks. Because cause I think in a way he knew, and he would never say this, but I think he knew his talent would get him to the point where he was in every sketch and that's what happened by the end of his time there it's just like phil's in every sketch you know and phil on day one is barely in the show
1: but by the end his talent made him rise to the top it's funny you mentioned phil donahue i'll put a bow on him uh i think it was we had a show on msnbc i had tickets to the show the night he was canceled so i never got to see phil donahue live but uh Maybe at the end of this, you can give us a quick Phil But let's and It was get no
2: great impression. It was basically my voice. <laughs> my big laugh would come, I would ask a question. Like I would say, well, the, the, the sketch was me and Lynn Stewart again, and she did Dr. Ruth. And what we would just do is, we would take questions, from, sex questions from the audience. And I had jokes like, Phil was uncomfortable talking about sex because um, he, uh, his only sexual experience was in Catholic school. And he made a promise to Father Kevin not to talk about it. So that was, <laughs> that was one of my jokes. But I would always I would always like ask a question and follow it up by doing this with my head. So, like, because Phil would always do stuff with his hair and hands. Yes. And, and that was his big thing. Uh, so, yeah, that was my Phil Hartman or Phil Donahue
1: impression. But so anyway, yeah, Phil... Go
2: ahead. So, so yeah,
1: so ninety three Phil Donahue was still a big presence, but uh, obviously Seinfeld season five, right? It was yes. our favorite our favorite season. I think the glasses we talk about Hartman being underrated. I think that was an underrated episode as well. So I,
2: I completely agree. And and it was while we were filming it, I just thought this is so goddamn funny. This is so funny. Um, and then the rewrite that came in on Saturday. You know that they used to work on Saturdays. I thought uh oh. On the other hand, you get paid more when you come in on a Saturday, you get overtime. So that right. was good. But um I thought, is this thing in trouble? Uh am I in trouble? Because I always think of I'm in trouble. But um uh we came in and that's when the rewrite of uh Dwayne and the Sugar came in on a Saturday. Uh, uh they had done a rewrite, I guess, all Friday night, and we came in and the and it was great for me because the part just got funnier. Like right. the idea that Kramer Kramer had gotten me off sugar was really funny. And then he holds the papaya, you know, it's like, uh, he holds the melon up to my face. It just, the episode just kept getting funnier and funnier.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of callbacks on that from old Seinfeld episodes. He calls it back thinking donuts. He calls back Joe's fruit sand. He calls back reindings. I don't know how you kept a straight face while he's doing that to you. I don't know if that took a lot of takes or not. I don't know
2: either because uh, you know what I kept the straight face because I, I, I did not want to break up because I knew that if they captured something on that moment. With Michael going crazy, right? I would not want to be the one. When they said cut, I started laughing hysterically. Um, yeah, you, you know, were in as several- was the audience, and, and uh, but but uh, I I, you know, part of that show that week was int- when I look back because I I did a lot of guest star roles, and and oftentimes the the cast. If you're a regular on a show, you're like you're you're sleepwalking through it. The cast on Seinfeld they were all really professional. Like they worked really hard and and nobody worked harder than Michael Richards. Like he would grab me and say like, hey Tim, uh, you wanna work on this? And and we'd go off to the side and that's very odd for for half hour TV when, when actors who are regulars on shows wanna actually work. They're usually much more concerned with uh, the new car they're leasing. Or you know what I'm saying, or or booking that flight to Cabo, like you know, that's the kind of stuff you normally get. But on Seinfeld, they were all really professional, especially Michael Richards.
0: Yeah, we get that a lot from guest stars.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they. It was really impressive that a show. It just made me feel good about like the work because this show that you really love. Everybody was very nice and everybody was just they really took their craft seriously like and they appreciated the fact that they were on this hit show they nobody you could just tell nobody was like taking uh, you know the bitter pill like okay fine I'll do it they were
1: all really stoked that they had this show so you told us uh an interesting story just off air before we we see you have the Yankees hat and you uh you said your father grew up in New York, so you rooted for all the New York teams. Um, yes, a professional set, but it sounds like you had some time to watch the Yankees with with Larry David.
2: Yeah, I think there was a playoff game or a big I can't remember. But I think it was a big game. And I remember saying to the stage manager, hey, because, um, you, you know, when you're when you're on these shows, you have a lot of downtime when you're an actor, you know, because they're off rehearsing scenes that you're not in. And I and uh, I rem- and I didn't want. I don't really like to go to my trailer. I like hanging out. I actually like watching. Um, and I was also a fan of that show. So Jerry would come down from the office and rehearse, and I would get to watch them. But I said to the stage manager, I said, um, "Hey, by any chance, is there a Yankee? You know, the Yankees are playing this big game. Is, is anybody watching it?" And they said, "Oh, it's on in the office. Go on over." I was like, "Are you sure?" And they said, "Yeah." So I go on over there. And it, and I'm assuming it's in the production office, which is a little, or the casting office, and and I walk in, and they're in Larry's office, but there's like 18 people in there watching, and I said, I one of somebody else is in there who I knew, maybe a writer on the show, some guys who wrote on Parker Lewis, were writers on that show, and I might have said like, hey, uh, can I watch? And they were like, yeah, yeah, come on in, and eventually a uh, seat, and I sat down. And by the, I'm going to say, like, two or three innings into it, it ends up just being me and Larry David in oh, nice. the in his office watching the show. And I'm a little nervous because it's Larry David because the show is so big at the time. And I had seen him in the 70s. I knew he was like, this guy's a little nutty. Uh, you know, I'd seen him at the improv <laughs> walk off the stage. And I said something like, I'm trying to start a conversation. And I said something like, uh, I guess they're going to, you know, like a reliever came in. I can't remember. I wish I remember the names. I said, uh, they should probably bring in so-and-so. And And I was like, Larry Davis, like, why would they bring in so-and-so? He's a left-hander. Now, sure, he's, and he had this whole logic, but he (laughs) was really enthusiastic about his logic to the point where I was sort of like, uh, I'm not going to argue with him. It's Larry David. I'm working for him this week. I don't want to get fired because, right. it's uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to tape night. Um, so <laughs> I le- kind of let it go. But it was a little like, OK, Larry, it's not that big a deal. We're just watching the baseball game here.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, and then you're you're you know, you're invited back by him, I'm assuming. Or I don't know how it worked, but you're on Curb, you know, that season 10 Curb episode. Um, did that come about just from them, you know, kind of bringing you back from the Seinfeld or um no
2: no that was again a casting director um Allison Jones um sorry getting old we forget names um <laughs> Allison Jones is the casting she's a really great casting director like she's arguably the best casting director in Hollywood and she happens to be a fan and she brings me in for things and I had sort of like I've walked away from acting a couple of times, and and I keep getting dragged back in. And she uh, called me up and asked me to audition for uh, that movie uh, about about Fox News um, with Charlize Theron. And she asked me to read for the part of Rudy Giuliani. I was like, really? And I went in, and it was really fun. And she said, Are, "Do you want to act again?" I said. Yeah, yeah, this was really fun. This was, I really had fun doing this. I didn't get the part, but I really had fun. And she said, okay. So she brought me in for a curb. And what they do is on on the way they're doing curb now is they, they have you improvise. They just give you like a premise. Right. And then you go in and improvise for it. And I guess I did well, but I wasn't right for these parts. And then all of a sudden a part came up uh, they had sort of like finished shooting and then they had to go back to pick up the... Ri- Richard Lewis has had a lot of health issues. And yeah. and they went back to pick up some stuff and they had the scene. And I think Carol Leifer, who's also been a longtime friend, writer on Seinfeld, right. writer on Curb, great performer, comedian. I think that's might've been how... Or Allison pitched the name. Well, what about Tim Stack play the actor? And I think Larry was like, oh, great. And I'm sure... They do a lot of, like, for Larry, like, here's a picture. Oh, yeah, 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 I know that guy. I know that guy. Um, And that's how I got the part. The funny thing about The Curb was, and it was interesting, was, first of all, Larry is a really, really nice guy. Like, he's, I I don't, I think he's so much, so much, so very comfortable in his new role as Larry David, the creator of Seinfeld and Curb. And it's so funny. And And he couldn't be nicer. So we talked a lot about golf on the day I did the Curb. But the other interesting thing that, that goes back to Seinfeld was Jeff Schaefer, who worked on Seinfeld, who directs Curb and, yes. and and sort of had he and I together had to sort of repitch the episode of Kerr Cur- of Seinfeld to Larry. And because he he there are so many episodes, they all sort of blend together. So it was really funny watching Larry in his mind, remember the episode and laugh hysterically about, oh my God, that's so funny. And Dwayne with the, gla- and the dog, yeah, yeah, and Elaine thought she had rabies and, and on and on. It was really funny watching Larry uh, laugh about that episode.
1: And well, fun funny. to retell it too. Well, what's funny is Larry didn't write that episode. So that was uh, Gamel and Pruss yeah, wrote Gammel the episode. Pruss. So maybe that's why he probably needed a refresher. But like, to your point, incredible episode you mentioned the dog bite and all stuff. so you interacted um, you interacted with pretty much all four characters on set right um elaine was in your store uh elaine was in the store obviously jason was in the
0: store michael richards
2: no i didn't have i don't think i had any scenes with jerry i don't think he was, he was any- there but
0: he didn't really that's right that's, yes, yeah. yes he was yes, definitely yes, there you're with right. elaine yeah
2: yeah yes you're right he came into the store but didn't have much to do and yes
1: J and T. Uh, you
2: know, a, a funny thing about the episode though was, uh, at least for me, it was funny. Um, I ended up using a bunch of those people in shows that I did down the road. For example, Tom Tolles, who plays the guy who brings the dog in. Yes. I think he's passed away, but uh, I used him on Nightstand, on my show Nightstand. Because I was thinking of, we needed a guy who looks like he had been to prison. I thought, oh, Tom would be great. And he and I stayed in a little contact after Seinfeld. I tried to get Anna Gunn on the show, and she was not, I think she was booked or wasn't interested on Nightstand. But then on Son of the Beach, I got Len Lesser came on the show, Uncle Leo, who was in the episode. Right, right. Rance Howard played the blind guy. He played in the episode. He played in my episode of *Some of the Beach*, which was really funny because he was such a nice, humble guy. And we had him play a uh, a college dean who was pimping girls <laughs> on uh, on Son of the Beach*, which is really funny. I always hope Ron Howard watched that episode, like his dad as a pimp. I thought it was really funny. Um, and then Jason Alexander, obviously uh, in *Seinfeld*, but he came on and did an episode of *Some of the Beach* for us. Um. Yeah. So. So. Anyway, it all came out of that episode.
0: You know, speaking of Son of the Beach, I mean, that's two iconic people there you worked with. I mean, Larry David, you just touched on how you know how generous he is and how just uh, amazingly talented he is. And then, you know, obviously, with Stern on Son of a Beach, any I would think there's very just from an outsider, they seem like their personalities might be different. But are there are any similarities on how they worked? Or I mean, those are two kind of iconic. Uh, comedic yeah, you know people in, in that world that you had a pleasure to work with both of them
2: yeah you know it's funny because um i i think they're a lot they're not they're not alike in um howard is uh and he talks about this so i'm not saying anything he's he's much uh shyer than larry david oh interesting. larry david you know it's like as neurotic as they both are howard is very shy Although he couldn't be nicer and cordial and, and in a, in a, in a comfortable situation, he'll talk about anything, but um, Larry's much more outgoing. Like we, Larry and I talked a lot about golf and, and um, you know, Howard is, is um, again, it's I'm not saying anything out of school. He talks about it all the time. He's just a much shyer, more reserved person. Once you get to know him though, he, he was great. And the thing with Howard, like, you know, I'd ask like can I ask you a question about the show and he was like yeah sure you know and then I'd ask him like I remember one of the first times we met him, I said to Howard like is Jackie for real like is he really and then he <laughs> proceeds to tell me Jackie's stories he goes oh I like because Jackie reminded me of George like Jackie Martling at the time when Jackie was on the Howard Stern show right. it was very much like George Costanza like Jackie creates conflict and, right. and George creates conflict. And so I, I think Larry, like when I heard Larry on, on the Howard show, I really was anxious to hear that interview because they're both so much alike in so many ways, you know, um, you know, cr- you just know like crazy neurotic childhoods and crazy parents, and they both love to expound upon that. So. That that was a really fun interview for me when Larry was on Howard Stern.
1: Yeah, and there's there's something about the early to mid '90s. No disrespect to Alf in the late '80s, but like the comedic genius we mentioned, Hartman, like Saturday Live, I felt was at its peak. Seinfeld at its peak. Stern at his peak with like Jackie, right? I think there's just so many similarities in between all all three of those shows. And you mentioned you had a, a connection to SNL as well, but. Before we get to that, just, how did you and Stern connect? And was that like a, he went to BU, you were a BC guy? Or did he go no, back? No,
2: although I went to BU for a year and I, and we were both in, uh, he and I talked about it. We were both in this school at BU that called the College of Basic Studies. And basically, well, they, you know. <laughs> oh, it, it, it was made up in order to attract students who could pay full tuition. Right, but were right. too dumb to get into college. <laughs> And and Howard and I talking about it, the College of Basic Studies, and I repeated a year in high school. That's how dumb I was, and and but I kind of remember him because I remember one day I was walking through the lobby of the College of Basic Studies, and there was this really tall guy, sort of holding court, making a bunch of people laugh, and he was so tall and so kind of odd looking. I remembered that image in my brain. No, I met Howard because when I, my life is like a series of coincidences. Um, I got a job bartending a Christmas party during college for uh, a friend of mine was uh, were, was working for Don Buckwall, who had sort of a new agency in town. He represented a lot of voiceover people and radio people. And I got a job, tending, he, my friend Drew Flack said, you want a 10 bars, 50 bucks on the way back from Boston to New York. I went, sounds good. So I put together a bartending outfit, and I and I stopped at his house on the way down. He lived in Westchester, and I bartended the party and made 50 bucks. And then years later, there's a whole story with that where I had – you guys don't remember. You're too young. It was an actor named Robert Lansing uh, who was on a show called 12 O'Clock High. When I was a kid, it was like Robert Lansing was really cool, and he had done a bunch of Twilight Zones. And I ended up having to give him a ride in my car back to New York. My car had no heat. Uh, I had painted flames on the wheels, like you know, as a joke, and and I threw him in the back of my car. I had no heat. I put a it was Christmas. And I threw a a blanket that I used to get used to get out of snow. I wrapped him up in a blanket and I threw Robert Lansing in the back seat of my car, and I drove him back to New York. And he was in and out of consciousness. He was hammered, and and I finally get to and he's telling me he's going to take me to the Players Club in New York. I was like, oh man, that sounds cool gives me his phone number, and, and when it, when I get to his house, I pull up, and he thinks he's in a limo, like, because he's in the back seat of this car. So I have to, I was like, oh. oh, okay. So I run out, and I open up the car door. Good night, Mr. Lansing, good night. Tomorrow we dine at the Players Club, and I called him the next day, and who is this? Don't even ever, ever call here again. Don't bother me, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> years later, I'm selling nightstand at, uh, at NAPTI and the convention and who walks by Don Buckwald. And I, I was a huge Howard fan at this point. And I, and I stopped him and I said, Don, you don't remember me in 1979 or 78. I was a bartender. Oh yeah. I was at your Christmas party. And, and, and we just sort of hit it off. So eventually um, we started talking about projects and he represented me. He He wanted to represent me. And and he said, can I introduce you to Howard? I think he'd like you. And at that point, Howard was very much looking for stuff to do other than his radio show. Mm-hmm. And I gave him a script based on a character that I had done at the Groundlings, a movie script. Like my big Groundlings character, this idiot Frank Sinatra impersonator. And Howard calls me. And we must've talked for like two hours about stuff. Uh-huh. It was on a Sunday. And and he gave incredible notes on the script, like really great notes. Like sometimes you get notes, it's just like they're just like out in left field. It's like that's not going to help this script. And his notes were fantastic because he understood the character, like the the frustration of the character. And and we just sort of became friends. And and then he wanted to direct the movie. And then he realized, I don't how am I going to direct the movie? I can't direct the movie. He said, "What else you got?" And I said, you know, the thing I really want to do is something I'd act in, and it's called uh, Son of the Beach. And I tell him the premise. You know, the premise is you take Baywatch, which Howard was a fan of. Okay, now take Hasselhoff out, and put me in, (laughs) and and you've got Get Smart at the beach. And that sort of was the pitch, and and that's how we that's how I got to Howard, and we sold the show, and and did a few other things since then, and have stayed in touch, and. Uh, doing something now uh with Shuli Agar who just left the show um yeah so we we've written something that we're going to try to go out with so um that's how I met Howard Don Buckwald.
0: very cool i'm looking forward to the, what what what's in store there um the other the other thing i'm just I looking at my
2: notes of what else about that that episode.
0: was actually going to be my question is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to kind of tell us about when you were um you know, on the Seinfeld set or anything like that? Oh, from, yeah. From that
2: oh, I did remember one thing.
0: And this has to do with Howard.
2: Oh, nice. my God. Which was, I was there. It was that week. I don't know if you remember, Jerry was uh dating that 17-year-old girl. Shoshana. Yeah. Yes. And it was a big story. You know, it's like now, of course, God, can right, you imagine right. that story now? Right. So, at the time, it was a big story. And, but that week, but Jerry clearly was not happy with the press coverage he was getting for dating this girl. But that week, Howard had Janice Ian on his show. I don't know if you remember this. And they rewrote the lyrics to her song, 17. And it was all about, you can Google it. It's on YouTube. Uh, it was all about Jerry dating the 17-year-old. And it was kind of the talk of the town. You know, it was like these new lyrics of Seventeen. And one of the things I remember was, uh, clearly the rest of the cast knew about the song and was laughing about the song, but they were sort of doing it like in this mode of like, did you hear that song this morning? Oh my God, (laughs) you know, like don't, it was one of those like, don't tell Jerry we know but that song was really funny. So that was kind of fun. That was a fun little memory about that week
0: too. So Jerry never, I'm sure he knew it was going on, but it wasn't. Oh, I think he knew it it was going on. And there were times
2: when, you know, Jerry and and Howard were friends, were really good friends at one time. And then they broke up. And I think part of it was around Howard doing bits about, because back in those days, Howard was just, you know, relentless and and he wasn't you know the howard today has celebrities on and back then he didn't care right he didn't right. care who you i mean that's how he made his his mark was going after yeah, he everyone. Had,
1: he had stuttering john doing his thing and just yeah you know, yeah and you know crystal and seinfeld and rosie o'donnell were the main targets and now you know i think all is forgiven essentially in today's age but
2: yeah um, i don't know if billy i don't know if billy crystal
1: uh i don't know if Ian he has has, come back. hasn't come back <laughs> Uh, I was just, I was testing you there, Tim. I think you're right. <laughs> uh, so it's funny. So just like getting back to Larry David, I thought that was just pretty funny how you uh, obviously baseball with him and then talking golf or playing golf. Like what do you know?
2: But we have a friend. Um, here's another funny story with, with uh, Larry David. Uh, one of the, a guy I play golf with um, named Rob, I'll say his name, Rob Crane, his brother, Rick, plays golf with Larry David all the time like they're big golfing partners and Rick was telling me a story that they went over to play some course uh in the valley uh, in the San Fernando Valley and and they they decided to take a limo over I guess the guy who was hosting them said I'm getting a limo I want to pick us up we are like okay we can drive over Meet not a limo limo and so they get in the limo and the The producer, he's dead now. I don't care. I'll say his name. Uh, It was the famous Jerry Weintraub. Um, And so he's their host at the golf course. And they said it was a funny thing where Rick was saying like, Jerry Weintraub would only, like he'd have a conversation with them, but he would only look at Larry David when he was speaking. It would be like, I'm looking in the lens here now, but it would be like, I'm talking to you, but I'm only talking to them. I'm doing this podcast over here. I'm not doing yours. Right. I'm over here talking. Because he wouldn't look at them. Like, they'd say something like, God, oh, beautiful day today. And he would say, he'd look at Larry and say, man, it's a beautiful. <laughs> he wouldn't <laughs> look at them. And, the, and it went on during golf and during lunch, after golf, on the whole thing. I always, and then for whatever reason, that guy gets out first on the way home. On the limo, because I guess, I don't know, I can't remember the circumstances of the limo, but he gets out first, and as soon as he gets out, Larry David picks, goes to his pocket and has a small pad with a pencil in it, and he starts writing down, and my friend Rick said to him, Larry, are you writing down the fact that Jerry Weintraub would never look at us and would only talk to you? And he went, Exactly! <laughs> <laughs> how crazy was that and he's um, writing it down and rick said will that end up on your show and he goes it might that was some crazy behavior and it might end up on their show so if it ends if it ever ends up on the show um just dropped an earbud uh, if it ever ends up on the show that uh there's a guy who won't talk to larry will only talk uh to this person leon or whatever it is
0: it's based on that moment perfect that's a perfect curb curb scene right there
1: it is yeah by the way tim i gotta say you know you being a uh optic guy those those are really nice frames like like dwayne would recommend those that you have wearing today dwayne might go with you. They're sort of, they could be men's or women's classes <laughs> Well, Tim, listen. This has been uh, an absolute blast. Before we let you go, I'm just curious because you know we grew up Yankee fans as well. Uh, who's your Who's your all time favorite? I got to
2: go with Thurman Munson, and I'll tell you why. I I was always a Yankee fan. Like Dad would take us to Yankee Stadium, and I, like I saw Maris hit a home run at 61, and 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 and, wow. and then we would only go to old timers games. Because my dad wanted to see guys he played, and back then, old timers' games like he was really excited because Hank Greenberg was coming to an old timers' game right, in New York. Right. He had never seen Hank Greenberg play, so so we would go on old timers' day. So, uh but but um in '78, it was just a great. That's my favorite season too, was '78 because they were, I think they were 16 games back, and they come back to win and. And it was a great summer I had that summer. I was attending bar out in East Hampton. It was just, it was a great summer and year for the Yankees. But at the ball game at Fenway Park, the playoff game, and you can watch this. If you go to watch that, that game is on YouTube. It's a fantastic two hours to kill is to watch the Bucky Dent game, is to watch that game. But get to the end of the game. And at the end of the game, the Red Sox are in the bottom of the night. They have two batters on. They have two outs, and Goose Gossage is on the mound. And Yaz is coming up, who's a left-hander. Now, at this point, and Sparky Lyle is in the bullpen, ready to go. He's warmed up, ready to go, lefty to lefty. And Bob Lemon, who, if you remember, was the interim manager. Steinbrenner had fired Billy Martin. Yeah. Have me back, and I'll tell you my Billy Martin saturday night live story sometime but um so bob lemon comes walking out to the mound and and gossage is standing there and munson as he's walking out you can see this he clearly yells to bob lemon get the can i say this i'm gonna say it yeah, yeah. get the get the fuck out of here get the fuck out of here <laughs> and bob lemon sort of stops and doesn't make his way all the way to the mound. And he turns around and walks back and Gossage got Yastrzemski to pop out. And I always thought that's a moment in Yankee history where Thurman Munson changed. You know, I don't know. Sparky Lion might have gotten him out. But what we do know is Gossage managed to get and, and, and Munson said something to Gossage. And then he goes back and he gets Yaz to pop out and the rest is history. So that's sort of when he
0: became my favorite player was, was that moment. That's when baseball was baseball too. Nowadays You oh. really wouldn't, you know, Goss probably through three innings that night too. I don't know. That came top of my head, but that's what closers used to do. You know,
2: I'll quickly tell you this SNL story. Cause it's really quick. Yeah, 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 we were going long.
0: No, no. Was,
2: I, I went, I got back. At, I got a chance to write on the show. It was a terrible, terrible experience. The only good experience was that Billy Martin, I wrote a song for Billy Martin during the week. It did not get on the air. But Billy really liked, he was the host with, I can't remember who his co-host was. There were two hosts. and Billy Martin was the host. But you, he really was, liked. What year was this, Tim? This would have been 86 or,
1: this would have been 86. So That was probably like right before Pinella took off, before he got fired again, right? Or was he He not, was not, he was not managing because this
2: was the
0: spring. This, this incredible. How was incredible in May, was that that they have Billy Martin host SNL? I love it. Was yeah, the host,
2: like, and I and I knew he liked country music because I had when I was a bartender in New York, I attended a bar at the Lone Star Cafe, and he used to come in. So I write this country song called Billy Ball. He loved it. Al Franken didn't like it, so it didn't get in the show. So, but he liked me, and during the week, you know, and if you have nothing in the show, you're just sort of hanging around, twiddling your thumbs, not doing anything. And Billy would, uh, he'd talk to me in the the game the night before, and he'd talk to Billy. On Saturday afternoon, I come in for the taping. I'm just hanging around doing nothing. I walk by his dressing room. The Yankee game is on. Remember that on the Saturday NBC game. And he goes, hey, Tim, come on in. Watch the game with me. So now I'm in Billy Martin's dressing room watching the Yankee game (laughs) with him. And he's telling me stories. He's telling me Mickey Mantle stories. He's telling me stories about when he got you know, the, the fight in New York at the Copacabana. Story after story, story. But the other amazing thing was he would call the next play, like Ricky Henderson would get on. He'd say, he won't go on this pitch. He'll go on the next pitch. He'll, he'll take an extra step here, but then he'll go back. And sure enough, and you realize that the genius that these guys had for baseball as they all do but this is not this is way before the days of days of statistics and computers and right. laptops and this is just billy knowing the game of baseball okay. and it was just again a, one of the showbiz thrills of my life was watching a baseball game with billy martin
1: yeah and larry david larry david's one thing but like you probably yeah. like Billy Martin, you probably thought about your father at that moment. It must have been just incredibly special. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just one of the greatest.
2: It was worth the pain of Saturday Night Live, of of that whole thing. It was, oh, I shouldn't say it wasn't worth it. It was almost worth it. Uh, um, it was almost worth it because I got to watch a baseball game with Billy Martin.
1: He got me tickets,
2: too, during the week, like on the Monday night. I don't know. Somehow. I think I asked him a question. I have a, I can, I'm usually good about striking up a conversation by knowing something about somebody. Yeah. And I said some, he got it. He got me and John Lovitz and and another guy tickets for the Monday night game. And they were really great seats at Yankee stadium. So great, fantastic guy. Just incredible guy, Billy Martin.
1: I I should have had my forward hat the whole time. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the same page, but uh, good. can't thank you enough, man. This was, this was great. great. You've had an incredible career. We just, we wish you the best. Can't, can't, can't wait to see what's next. Back at you. I'll, I'll, I'll let the world know when this is on. Thank, thank you, you guys so much. Me. Tim.
0: Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. This was awesome. Great. Thank you guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. See ya.